The following podcast is brought to you by the Village Zendo. For more information, visit villagezendo.org. Nice to see everybody. Nice to see people here for Zazenkai. Uh, really, really nice to be together. We're all a little rusty still, including me. <laughs> we haven't done much of the services here. We haven't had enough hands. So that's been really nice. Um, for those of you I haven't met, my name is Fusho. Uh, and uh, I want to say Happy New Year. I think we can still say that. I don't know how late we can say it into January. But um, I know we can say Happy Lunar New Year. That's happening tomorrow. Um, that begins the first new moon that occurs at the end of uh, January for 15 days. Um, so this year, uh, Year of the Rabbit, supposed to bring us hope and good luck. I think we could all use it. Um, I was lucky enough to go on a retreat for the end of the year where we were able to return back to Garrison. So that was a, also a real treat to be back in person. And I was also lucky enough to be part of the New Year's Eve ceremony there where we ring 108 bells. And uh, I noticed we had some, um, some inquiries on our IO group which we have for the village Zendo where people can share and talk. We had a couple questions about um, the tradition of 108 bells and uh, some requests to hear more about the bells themselves. So I, I thought I would give you my version, go investigate a little, give you my own version. Um, and luckily, I, I do want to say thanks to Ryoshin, one of our senior students who answered on the IO group about the tradition of specifically 108 bells coming from Japan. And he explained um, that it is a Japanese tradition, but obviously, you know, ringing the bells at the end of the year is not just Japanese or Buddhist even. It's a very uh, common old, old, old tradition that goes way back and spans the globe. Um, but in the Japanese temple, the bells are rung 100 and seven times traditionally on December 31st with the 108th string of the bell occurring on January 1st to ring in the new year. And the number 108 apparently comes from the so-called 108 worldly desires or passions or defilements of the mind. There's precisely 108 of them apparently. And the bell sounds 108 times in this ritual that's called, at the end of the year, called Joya no Kane, that represents the cleansing of 108 worldly passions. So that very last ring comes um, at the beginning of the new year, traditionally, and is accompanied by a wish that those who listen will not be plagued by their passions in the year ahead. 
And apparently there are six senses, as we're told, sight, hearing, smell, taste, touch, mind, and three ways of experiencing each sense, positive, negative, neutral, which gives us 18 feelings, can give rise to 18 types of feelings, which we can either crave or be averse to each of those in the past, present, or future. So that leads us to 108 possibilities. Um, and I also learned when I was doing a bit of research, which all of us can do now, the World Wide Web, um, the ringing of the bell symbolizes the wish that we will be free from these defilements. And these defilements are believed to cause pain and suffering to the human heart. So the ringing of the temple bell uh, represents the wish that these afflicting worldly desires will vanish one by one. Or you could say um, also on New Year's Eve, ringing bells reminds us of our potential for connection and collective liberation. I found a nice commentary about New Year's Eve in the most recent Tricycle magazine. Um, and he quoted the 19th century poem by Alfred Lauren Tennyson called In Memoriam, Ring Out Wild Bells. In this poem, the sound of bells on New Year's Eve encourages us to honor death and to practice letting go. The poem goes, ring out wild bells to the wild sky, the flying cloud, the frosty light. The year is dying in the night, ring out wild bells and let him die. Ring out the old, ring in the new, ring happy bells across the snow. The year is going, let him go. Ring out the false, ring in the true. I've also heard that the bell's sound symbolizes the Buddha's voice calling to heavenly deities for protection. And some say the bell represents a bodhisattva, the ideal of a person who has reached enlightenment, but through compassion decides not to ascend to nirvana, but to stay and help all living beings. So there's plenty out there that we could find. Um, and once you've been practicing, even for a very brief bit of time, you start to notice that there are a lot of bells in our practice. And they serve different purposes, but most of the time they're very practical. I can sound very ritualistic, but if you listen closely, um, the most basic sense of the bells is it's used to communicate because we're not speaking to each other. And so uh, they tell us a lot of things like when to sit down and when to stand up and when to bow and what's happening next and who's coming and who's going. So they are kind of, I would say, um, pre-cell phone, uh, pre-anything, pre-everything. They were what alerted us, right, to somebody arriving, for example, when to wake up, uh, when to go to bed, pre-alarm clock. We had bells, temple bells or church bells. Um, I would say the, the large bells, you know, those are what we can hear from a great distance to summon the abbot or the 
the monks to prayer. Um, small bells, you know, we use in meditation practice to signify the beginning and the end of meditation. So if someone doesn't read those, ring those bells, we don't know what to do. And um, often when we first come to this practice as formal students, our intention, you know, is to learn more and deepen our practice. And we're often asked um, to start by being the jikido, the timekeeper. So um, it's a quick way to dive in and start to think about um, this container that we have and that we need as a group and how the bells help support us that way. And uh, it is true that the nature of the sound of almost any bell ringing offers us um, an opportunity to refocus and to rest and to bring ourselves back to this present moment. In Tibetan Buddhism, bells are considered to be sacred ritual objects. And the bell can symbolize wisdom. And it's often paired with a tool called a vajra, which symbolizes compassion. So together, wisdom and compassion embody a union of dualities. And attaining both wisdom and compassion would help liberate a devotee from samsara and achieve enlightenment. So we know that what we're doing here is carrying on a tradition that is thousands of years old and has traveled through many countries before arriving here in the West. And our tradition comes directly from Japan. Um, so a lot of our liturgy training and the study texts um, include instructions and stories that are passed down from very far back. And a lot of it is passed on not only by text, uh, but verbally as an oral transmission, um, continuing the way that we are passing things on through one-on-one -on -one and through just talking about, about it, which keeps it, I think, quite alive. And so we have to assume that the traditions probably have changed a bit. And as far as exact approach, or technique or way to do something, how to get it right. It's probably not exactly the way it was, but it's still been passed down to us. So it's still there. And we're still doing our best to honor and continue those traditions while at the same time we're making it our own. Um, and that is the true expression part, I would say. That's the part where we um, are encouraged to experience the bells and experience all of it for ourselves and then respond or express what that feeling or communication feels like. Of course, there are a lot of koans. There is a koan um, from the Gateless Barrier uh, where Unman says, see how vast and wide the world is. Why do you put on your robes at the sound of a bell? I could just leave it there. <laughs> but um, I've also been reading our, our Dharma Sister Sal Gesho Randolph's book, The Uses of Art. And one of the things that stuck with me so far and changed the way I've actually seen 
and and thought about interacting with objects is that she points out um, she posits that these objects, including bells, for example, actually need us um, for that interaction and to function. They need us in whatever state we might be in, in that moment that we're having that interaction. Um, that's actually what helps shape them as well as it shaping us. I think it's valuable to examine our own state of mind and, and being as we are interacting with those objects. And that's what our zazen can help us do. Um, but I would say there's something about being put in a service position that really brings out our state of mind front and center to ourselves in a way that's slightly different than when we're meditating because there's this action involved and there's a response happening. And you can't exactly um, <clears throat> keep it to yourself the way we do when we're on the cushion because suddenly we are learning something and remembering how to do it actively. And I, I think particularly as Americans or even maybe in general in the West, um, we really want to get it right. And um, we really want to know how do I do it? How, what is the right way that I do this? <clears throat> we don't want to mess up. We don't want to let anybody down. I'm speaking for myself. Um, so on retreat, it's an especially potent environment because we're not talking and we have this you know, schedule where we're able to really look at how, how we and our minds respond in this situation that we're being put in or asked to do or learn something, you know, and how do we respond to um, this state that we're, we can find ourselves in of not knowing? Uh, I've heard it expressed as here we say, how do I do this? And sometimes the Eastern philosophy is more like, how does it work or how does it work on me? which is a very different way of looking at learning something, I think. Um, so I thought I'd just share a bit about my own experience with learning the role of Doan, being the one who rings the bell. Um, <clears throat> when I was first starting to practice and just coming to retreat and becoming you know, more serious about studying, I went on a, on a summer retreat and was asked to be the bell ringer, the doan who rings the bells for all of the services. And I, um, I remember it as a very terrifying experience, uh, very stressful, very hard to understand what was going on. I felt very nervous. I knew I wasn't getting it right. Um, I was very anxious about it. I didn't feel like I could keep up. And from my point of view, the liturgy master at that time was very unimpressed with my performance, uh, rolled, was rolling his eyes a bit. And I really felt that clearly there had been a mistake that I should not have been put in this position. And then I haven't done it since I did it this past time. So this is over 10 years well over 10 years. And I was quite sure, even when I was asked to do it this past time, quite sure that the reason I hadn't been asked this whole time was because it had gone so badly. I really believed this. 
that, um, and I was, I was quite anxious and nervous this time about it. I was telling my husband, like, I, I don't know how this is going to go because it was such a disaster last time and I haven't done it in so long. And I'm sure everyone will expect me to know how to do it. It was a lot of stuff in my head going on about this, what I was supposed to do in this position. Um, luckily, <laughs> I'm here to report, if you practice long enough and you sit for over 10 years and you participate, you do start to pick things up and you can find yourself in a state of not knowing with a little bit less disease or discomfort. Um, so it went much better for me this time. And I found it to be quite joyful. So it was completely different. And for what it's worth, I told the liturgy master from back then, after this was all over this time, oh, it went so well. And you know, it was totally different. And he said, you did it before? <laughs> And I wanted to say, don't you remember? Of course you didn't remember. Like it's been over a decade. I said, yeah, I did it. It went horribly. And he said, oh, I don't even remember that you had done it. So I'd had it in my head for that long that I had done such a terrible, horrible job of it. And he didn't remember that it had even, you know, happened. Understandably. So, um, but so this time, luckily, right before, um, I came to retreat as well. I found uh, Thich Nhat Hanh's phrase and some of his talks, which are very well known, but I hadn't encountered before about how to ring the bell. And his phrase for ringing the bell is um, inviting the bell. And so he, as a young monk in Vietnam, when he first started out, a lot of us, as a novice monk, he was asked to learn how to invite the bell to ring. And there was a very specific way and a gatha, which um, Fugan Sensei knew and offered. And because Fugan, I learned, had been um, at Plum Village with Thich Nhat Hanh and had, had learned the bell chant. And uh, you can find his talk about how to ring the bell online, but the recommendation is to recite each line to yourself with each breath, in breath and out breath. And before um, ringing the bell, he prepares himself by breathing in and breathing out two times. And the verse is four lines. And the verse goes like this. Body, speech, and mind in perfect oneness. On the inhale. I send my heart along with the sound of this bell. May all you who hear me awaken from forgetfulness and transcend the path of anxiety and sorrow. So body, speech, and mind and perfect oneness, I send my heart along with the sound of this bell. May all you who hear me awaken from forgetfulness. And he says, um, forgetfulness is the opposite of mindfulness. So it's when mind and body are separated and you don't know what's going on around you or you're getting in your own way because you're so worried that you're going to mess it up, that you're not paying attention to what's really happening in the moment, for example. And transcend the path 
of anxiety and sorrow. And he says that the sound of the bell comes from the Buddha inside us, deep inside us. Um, and, it, and that Buddha inside us is calling us to the here and now. So we have to pay respect to that Buddha and we have to stop, stop talking, stop thinking, stop whatever it is we're doing. And it's an invitation to remember to come back to this moment that's always available in here. So hearing that bell <clears throat> is that opportunity over and over again to come back to what he calls our true home, which is this present moment. Um, I actually live across the street from a Catholic church, very old Catholic church with very active bells. And uh, it rings throughout the day. And it is a beautiful uh, calling to stop and, and listen for a minute and reset. So uh, Thich Nhat Hanh recommends <clears throat> when you hear the bell, listen, listen, really listen with whole body and mind and every cell and invite all your ancestors to listen with you and invite your children and their children, even if they have not been manifested to listen. So the whole universe and the whole cosmos is listening to that bell in the moment. And you touch the wonders of life in that moment. And you can allow for some compassion and presence. You can even um, recognize perhaps form is emptiness. Emptiness is form, even in that deep state of not knowing. Feelings, perceptions, mental formations, and consciousness can arise. And I was thinking, um, how about in other aspects of our life? You know, arranging these flowers over many years. And that process happened very naturally. I, I started out arranging the flowers in this very uh, self-conscious mode. And I kept adjusting them and readjusting them and readjusting them and fidgeting and worrying. And eventually, I think I, think I did come to sort of say, be able occasionally to look at them sort of just out of the box and, and invite them to arrange themselves. Um, it's a much more spacious and flowing and open um, place to be in interaction. And, you know, so maybe we can also um, notice when our mind is wandering and invite it to come back to the breath as opposed to um, beat ourselves up about it wandering. I want to hear about your own experience, ringing bells. 
think I'll just end with a haiku um, by Basho. The temple bell stops, but the sound keeps coming out of the flowers. <laughs>